0: Hey, thank you for tuning in to the ReLove Podcast. This is Pastor Rico. Our hope is that today's message adds life and power to your journey as you grow. Thanks for joining us. I want to just jump right into what we're going to to talk about today. Uh, We have... um, There are a, a, a... I don't know if you all have heard of this. I'm just going to intro this to you guys. We'll pray and then we'll jump in. But uh, some of you may or may not have heard of something called the Gallup Survey or the Gallup. It's actually a company. George Gallup uh, started this company about 40 years ago, and it's basically um, an organization that uses surveys to measure different public opinions. And it's really useful when it comes to church because the Gallup studies have revealed so many things by which we can base our movement on as church leaders and leaders in faith. Uh, So before I pray, I just want to introduce you to one thing, um, well, rather three things that came from one particular study. This is called the ME25 from the Gallup survey, um, and it's for church engagement and spiritual health. So it's actually taking 25 components of engagement, and they did research in different churches to determine. Uh, the commonalities between churches who have super engaged members and those who don't and there are three categories okay so there's engaged not engaged and actively disengaged if I can get just the first one up on the screen engaged here are the, the 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 components of an engaged church member an engaged church member is someone who is connected psychologically this is based on research okay they're connected psychologically. They are committed spiritually. They attend church regularly. They volunteer regularly, and they give sacrificially. Now, each of these measurements has a range of, of numbers, right? We can go deeper in each one of these. We're not going to today, but this is what an engaged church member looks like. If you think that's you, don't raise your hand. We ain't gonna make you put that out. Just, I hope that's you, okay? The second category is actually a not engaged. Remember, not disengaged, it's not engaged. So this is engaged. A not engaged church member is not psychologically connected. What does that mean? That just means there isn't a mental response to what's happening at church. You can be physically present and not emotionally or mentally present at church, just so you know. So your attendance, you know, we love that you're in the seat, but if you're not engaged and you're not feeling something, learning something, growing psychologically, there may not be a connection there. So there's not a psychological connection. They're connected socially, but not spiritually. Not engaged members attend regularly. You can attend regularly and still be not engaged. They volunteer minimally. Okay. They give moderately, but not sacrificially. They give financially, right? Moderately, but not sacrificially. So that's an engaged member, then a not engaged member right here. And the last category is what I hope none of you are, and that is an actively disengaged member. Okay? An actively disengaged member attends once or twice a year max. Those are your Easter or Christmas people. Okay? They on record, they're on record, they have their number and the their name in the books, but they're uninvolved. They are physically present, but psychologically absent. They are unhappy with church and typically communicate their unhappiness with church when they come. So this is an actively disengaged member. Take a quick minute and consider which one are, you are. Are you engaged, not engaged, or actively engaged, actively disengaged? Since you're all here, and you're hearing me, and I see some smiles, we're going to call you engaged members, which means that you are among those who the research says are more likely times 10 to invite someone to church. So engaged members are 10 times more likely to invite a friend to church. God, we're grateful for the opportunity today to dive into your word. We're grateful for what this spiritual space as given us in our lives, and we want to explore through your word, Father, how we can uh, create those experiences in the lives of those around us. So as we abide and dwell with you in the grace of your written word, Father, inhabit our hearts and speak to us clearly today. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I recognize and understand that inviting a person to church may not be the easiest thing, and this may be one of those sermons already where you guys are like, mm, I'm not going to get fed today. You will. You will. The Bible and the word is going to feed you today, but I do want to just set a little bit of an environment for us to think about when it comes to what our actual Christianity and involvement in church looks like, right? If you are experiencing something at Relove, whether you're online or with us here, whether if you are experiencing something that you are not sharing with another person, I want to challenge how meaningful what your experience is, How meaningful is what you're experiencing if it's not something you're really typically trying to share with someone? So studies actually show that 2% of the people that come to church come by advertisement, okay? 6% come by pastoral requests, so a pastor invites them to come to church. 6% comes by organized evangelism, and the Seventh-day Adventist church loves organized evangelism. We're really good at that, but it only yields 6% of our people. 86% Eighty-six percent of people in church are there because they were invited by a friend. Eighty-six percent of the people. Now, if you were to think back into how, how did you get here? It may have been through a Bible study. You may be a generational Adventist. So you may be here because your, your family grew you up in the Adventist church. And so you're just demographically looking for a church. You may be here because you looked online. But many of us, we could probably pinpoint an interaction where we had with the person who may have invited us to church. Even further, it says that 67% of Americans say that a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit church. So the majority of people say, hey, if I was invited, I'd be there but I don't get invited. And actually only 2% of church people invite an unchurched person. Only 2% of people who go to church are actually inviting people to church. You don't wanna be that 2% family. That's not what you wanna be. Listen, let's jump right into the word and I wanna talk a little bit about how Jesus and his disciples modeled what inviting a person to church looks like, okay? So let's let's open up, we're we're gonna be preaching today from John chapter one. John chapter 1, and we're starting in verse 35. John chapter 1, verse 35, it'll come up on the screen. It says, the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. Let me just pause real quick because the John that we're referring to right now is not the gospel writer. So the the author of this book, his name is John, but right now he's referring to John who was often called the Baptist or or John the baptizer, the one who was an evangelist preparing the way for Christ. So the next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Verse 39, come, Jesus replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent the day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. I find something very peculiar about the way Jesus responded to the people. But even before that, I find something very peculiar about the way John the Baptist referred to Jesus. What did you see that John the Baptist did when he saw Jesus? What did he say? He said, look, Look, the Lamb of God. Guess what he didn't do? He didn't begin to preach. He didn't begin to profess. He didn't begin to explain. He just said, look, my first point with you all today in how to invite a person to church is very simple. Stop proving and start pointing. Stop proving and start pointing. What do I mean by this? Listen, your job is not to prove the need for Jesus in the life of another person, your job is to point to the presence of Jesus in yours. Because John the Baptist was a person who had been preparing the way for Jesus, he was expecting Jesus. So when Jesus actually came into his presence, John the Baptist could point to him. He could recognize the presence of Jesus. He he, he, he knew who Jesus was. And he was confident in the person of Jesus enough to identify him and point, hey, that is Jesus, And for us, many of us, our 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 intellectual understanding of Jesus gets in the way of actually just pointing people to him. John the Baptist didn't preach a sermon when he saw Jesus. He said, look, the Lamb of God. Jesus himself was self-explanatory to the people. John the Baptist understood that Jesus was a person who needed to be pointed to, that John the Baptist directed people's attention toward Jesus. We need to stop trying to prove who Jesus is and start pointing to the Jesus that's in our life. What does that look like, though? That looks like you actually being consciously aware of the presence of Jesus in your life. That means you are actually a person who's paying attention to your own spiritual well-being. A person who recognizes when Jesus has done something good for you. How have you seen Jesus? How do you recognize the presence of Christ in your life? And if you can't answer that really clearly, I want to I want to ask you, how are you then pointing to him? How are you showing other people the Jesus that you yourself are not seeing? Does that mean he's not in your life? That's not what that means at all. Jesus is there. And we know this because we've been teaching since January here at Relove Church that the Holy Spirit actually dwells within us. So we know that Christ is all around us. He's moving in and through us. But if you're not aware of his presence, how then can you point to the one? John simply said, look, you cannot point to what you do not perceive. You cannot show what you do not see. Not everyone searching will find, but everyone who finds will be searching. So what I want you to understand is that you may not find Jesus, but I want to ask, are you searching for him? And then I want you to consider that for the people around you. They may not look like they're looking for Jesus, that doesn't mean that he's not there. But the truth is, a person who finds Jesus is always going to be a person who's searching for Jesus. Now, because you cannot recognize another person's efforts to find Jesus does not mean that they're not looking for him. So what we need to stop doing is looking around and saying, mm, yeah, I don't think, no, nah, he's not open. He's not, no, that's the lady in the break room. She's not real susceptible. Just because you don't identify them as a person looking for Christ does not mean that they're not. Especially because Christ looks for people. Let's really think about what it means to point to Jesus. Who in your life is searching? We're preparing for Easter, guys. We, we, we believe in the Easter message. It's not about Relove church and our ability to bring some jumpers out for the kids and serve some good food. No, the truth is the power behind the story of Easter is enough to change a person's life. Somebody around you is searching for hope. Someone around you is searching for a second chance. Someone around you is looking for another opportunity to say yes to God. And here at Relove, we are a place where you can fall in love with God again. That's why we are Relove Church. We're not just love church. We are the place you can fall in love with God again. The same God who is the God that loved you over and over and over and over and over and over and over. over. You may see your neighbor. You may see your friends that, yeah, they gave up on church a long time ago. Send them to the God that loves them again and again and again. And let them choose that God again. We need to stop proving and start pointing. Let's move on. Let's move on to the story. I I have four parts of this story, and we're going to pick it up back in verse number four. Back in verse number, uh, I'm sorry, verse number 40. Thank you. Back in verse number 40, we're going to pick the story up there. uh, and, And here is where now we see... In the first part of the story, we see John pointing out, John the Baptist pointing out to the disciples who Jesus is. And in this part of the story, we actually see Andrew, one of the disciples, introducing Jesus to his brother, Peter. Okay, So in verse 40, it says, one of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated as anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. Just a couple scriptures there, but what do we see happening? What do we see happening, right? So Andrew has a brother named Peter. Andrew gets Jesus and takes Jesus to his brother, Peter. When we're talking about inviting people to church, listen, guys, point number two, simply find your family first. Oh, who do I invite to church, man? I don't know. Find your family first. Andrew started with his brother. He said the very first thing in verse 41, the first thing Andrew did was find his brother. Find your family first. Many of you may have rocky relationships with your family. You may have members of your family that you haven't talked to. Those may not be the people that you need to jump right to. I'm not talking, but you do have people who are close in your life. You have people in your inner circle. It may be a friend that you consider family, but consider a person in your life who has not been to church in a while, who has given up on God, who has been hurt by the church and give them another chance. They're right here in your circle. Find your family first. Sometimes the seeds that are closest to you are the ones God has been waiting the longest to water through you. There's people all around who are fertilized and waiting for the water of your life to pour on them. But we continue to just look past the people around us. Find your family first. Found people will find people. And if you consider yourself a found person, because you know God, you have an active relationship with God, and even if you don't consider yourself a found person, you may be still a seeking person. All of us genuinely are seeking for the rest of our lives, but you're going to find people. You're going to go seek people out. If you've gone to a restaurant and you had a greatest experience, what are you going to do? Amen. Yeah, you got to listen. You got to go over to this place. You got to try this place out. Get the menu. Get this item on the menu. You're going to... You tell people about it. Also, if you had a really negative experience, what do you do? Hey, listen, don't go up to what's-his-name joint because, look, they I got food poisoning there. It works both ways. And I want you to know there's a lot of people out there talking about the food poisoning they've got at the church. Okay? So let's be realistic about the the environment that we live in here in America, right? A lot of people have been hurt and left the church. But even now to this day, there is still an opportunity for someone to give it another chance. People still like food. People still want and need food. What I love about this, this scripture is that when Andrew takes Jesus to his brother, in verse 40, 42, it says that he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. It doesn't say that Andrew introduced Simon Simon, and Peter are the same person, if you're confused. Simon and Peter, Simon is Peter. It does not say that Andrew introduced Peter to Jesus. It just says that he brought Jesus to him. And Jesus said, you are Simon. You are Peter. Jesus already knew that person. And for some of you, you think you're looking to invite a person to church who's never actually seen or met Jesus but Jesus knows that person. There's a person in your life that Jesus is waiting to meet through you. Jesus identified who Peter was before Peter could even say a word because Jesus was waiting for Peter. There's someone in your life that Jesus is waiting on already. It's not the work that's your it's not your job to do the work to convert a person. We've been saying that all year it's simply your job to connect people to the Christ. Stop asking if your family is ready for Jesus because Jesus is ready for your family. Stop pointing, stop proving and start pointing. Find your family first. For our third point, we're going to move on to verse 43 and verse 44. And this one simply connect with your community. Who do I invite the church? Connect with your community. Verse 43 says, the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. That last part. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. So, 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 so Philip was from the same place that the other two disciples were from already. So that next person that you can invite to is that next concentric circle. Outside your core, you want to find your family first. Next, really engage your community. Who lives in your neighborhood? Who's in Garden Grove with you? Who lives in Santa Ana with you? Who lives in orange with you? Who's your neighbor? Who's in your community? Who's your who's your barber, your, your hairstylist, the, your barista, the person making your coffee that you see every single day? These are people in your community. Jesus is not looking just for you and your family. Jesus is looking to connect to the people in your community as well. And we know that it's mandated in Scripture for us to actually connect with our community because we see this in Matthew chapter 5. And I'm just going to read it in your hearing. In verse 13 through 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. You are called to be salt. You are called to be light. You are called to be a city on a hill. Not just the person who dwells in your home avoiding your neighbors. Matthew twenty-two thirty-nine 39 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Romans 15, 12 says, please your neighbor and build them up. Romans 13, 10 says, love does not harm your neighbor. James 1, 27 says, look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. Connect with your community, the people outside your home, the teachers at the schools that your kids are going to, other parents. Connect with people in your community. Stop proving. Start pointing. Find your family first, and then connect with your community. Our fourth and last point, we're going to keep it short and simple today, is invitations over explanations. We're talking about Easter 16th, right? April 16th for Easter. Invitations over explanations. Let's pick up the rest of the story in verse 45. In verse 45, and we're in John chapter 1 for those who may just be joining us. Verse 45 picks up and says, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and whom the prophets also wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, 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 so let, let, let me backtrack a little bit. So, so far, we see that John the Baptist pointed Andrew and another disciple. It was actually John, the gospel writer. Those two disciples, John the Baptist, pointed to Jesus when he saw them. So now they are following Jesus. What happens then? Then Andrew takes Jesus to his brother, Peter. So now it's John the gospel writer, not John the Baptist, John the gospel writer, Andrew, and Peter following Jesus. Now what happens is that Jesus finds Philip. So John chapter one is telling the story of how Jesus built the team that changed the world, okay? And so we see now that that now that Philip has joined the team, Philip goes out and finds Nathaniel. And so verse 46, Nathanael responds to Philip, who's saying, hey, we found this guy that we've been looking for. We found the Messiah. This is the one. You got to come meet him. And he says he's from Nazareth. And what does Philip do? Philip responds and says, Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? What is that? That's doubt. That is opposition. That's argumentation. That's all the things that we as Christians fear when we tell a person, hey, come see Jesus. I'm not ready to answer their arguments. No, no. Oh, I don't know. They've had a negative experience. Oh, man, Jesus doesn't look for them the way he looks to me. Uh, Jesus is from a place that they may not really understand. Nazareth was a long way away. Think about the, 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 the self-talk you give yourself when you talk yourself out of inviting a friend to church. Think about it. These are the things that we say. This is literally what Philip is, is encountering with Nathaniel. He said, can anything good come from Nazareth? Look at Nathaniel's response in verse 46. Nathanael's response in verse 46, Nathanael's response says, come and see. Nathanael did not respond. F- Philip did not respond to Nathanael with a Bible verse or with a bunch of studies about church like I share with you up here. He didn't, he didn't have a clapback to him. He didn't, he, didn't, he didn't get mad. He didn't get elevated. He didn't respond with any words at all. He simply said, come and see. Then he turned around, walked away. Verse 47 says, When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Verse 49. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree, but you will see greater things than these. So what we actually see happen here is that Philip goes and finds Nathaniel, knocks on his door, says, Nathaniel, we found the guy. You gotta come. He comes and finds him. Or he responds to, to Philip and says, Hey, really? From Nazareth? Probably not. This isn't the guy. But he comes anyway and he shows him. And now Jesus, Jesus is approached by Nathaniel, and Jesus actually looks at Nathaniel and says, Hey, you're Nathaniel. He says, Hey, how do you know that? Because I saw you sitting under the fig tree. Now we don't know. We can, we can speculate and, and, and theologians have speculated about what that means. But in it, just this literal raw sense, what is happening here is that Jesus had already had his eye on Nathaniel. And there was a day previous when Nathaniel was under a fig tree. He may have been worshiping. He may have been singing. He may have been doing something else. But what we see from context here is that Jesus acknowledged that Nathaniel was a he says Israelite. He calls him an Israelite, which means he's saying, hey, you're a good Jew. You're a good Hebrew. I've seen you do good work. I've seen you worshiping under the fig tree. I know who you are. So right away, Jesus is validating who Nathanael is. Nathanael was doubtful. He's like, yeah, probably not this guy. Philip didn't argue with him. He brought him to Jesus and let Jesus do the work. He let Jesus do the work. Invitations over explanations. Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? Just come and see. Hey, listen, we're doing an Easter thing on the 16th. Hey, you should come and bring your kids. There's going to be some good food and fun for the kids. Jesus, I don't know about all that. Come on, come and see. Walk away, guys. That's it. That's simple. You're pouring coffee in the break room. Yeah, you know, hey, got any plans for Easter? No, not on Sunday, on Saturday, because we do the fun stuff on Saturday, right? Oh, okay, yeah, come on over. We're at the church right here in Garden Grove. Here's a card. Come and see. Walk away. That's it. you do not got to argue. You don't need to prove Jesus. You don't need to do it. You don't need to have a conversation you have to come and see. There are seeds all around you waiting to be watered. And the truth of the matter is you don't need to show up to every argument that you're invited to. As a Christian who may fear not knowing enough word or not knowing enough scripture, you don't have to show up to the arguments that people if you you can you can sense people's energy. If people ain't trying to hear nothing about no church, walk away. That's the spirit's work anyway. Go and drop a card on some people that might actually be open to it. You don't need to defend every dispute about God. You don't need to debate every doubt just come and see. Philip did not respond to Nathaniel's invitation with an argument. Philip followed Jesus' example by simply saying, come and see. Listen, Philip understood something about Jesus. Philip understood that Jesus couldn't be explained. Philip understood that words fall short, that language is limited. Philip found a strength in his weakness and chose not to argue about who Jesus was. He simply said, come and see. This reminds me of something that we see in Psalms as I'm coming to a close here. Uh, Psalms chapter 34, verse eight, it actually says, uh, and these are the words of David, right? It's it, And many of us know this, uh, is when David said, taste and see that the Lord is good. He said, taste and see that the Lord is good. Now the, the Hebrew word for taste there is ta'am, And ta'am actually doesn't mean flavor, taste. Ta'am means to perceive. Ta'am means to judge. Right? Ta'am means to discern. So he's not just saying taste and see that the Lord is good. He's saying judge for yourself and see that the Lord is good. Go ahead and discern for yourself and see what you think about that. Come and see. And see what you think about Jesus himself See, David is convinced that no one could deny the goodness of God once they've experienced it. David recognizes that if a person just comes and tries, he will discern and judge for himself that God is, in fact, good. It's not your job to convince. Just invite someone to come and see. Before we close, I just kind of want to... Mark, would you do me a favor? Under this uh, sweater here, I just got a little box, if you can hand that to me. I just kind of want i, I want to give you guys a visual of what this looks like. Because I want you to think about this for the next couple weeks as you're talking to people, inviting people to come to the church at 16th for church. I have a, that's the one I know. It seems like, what's that? That's the one, Mark. That's the one. I just kind of want you to think. See, there's this thing that I enjoy. It's at this place called Red Robin. See, Red Robin, I used to work at. I used to manage Red Robins before I pastored. And Red Robin was the place that taught me my leadership. Y'all may not realize that, but I actually learned how to lead people at Red Robin. But before I learned how to lead people at Red Robin, I learned how to uh, make a burger. Before I learned how to make a burger, I learned how to eat a burger. Okay, I ain't lying. They make you taste all the food. I was a manager, y'all. I ain't cute up here for no reason. I'm just... See, and there's this this my favorite particular favorite burger, is this one. This is the Whiskey River Barbecue Chicken Sandwich. Let me explain it to you, okay? Let me explain to you this. Y'all drooling? Someone get. She needs some napkins over here. She's drooling. Hey, listen, so, so what we got here, and I'm gonna take the wrapper off it, cause I want you guys to really understand as I explain about this Whiskey River barbecue chicken sandwich. So what this is, is this is a 4.5 inch sesame seed bun, okay? Caramelized to perfection. What you see here is actually a six ounce chunk of chicken. It's a boneless, skinless chicken breast cooked to a critical control point of 165 degrees. You have a half ounce of mayo on each bun, and it's not the like the light mayo; it's the real deal mayo. Okay, it's the Hellman stuff. Okay, and you got a, a one and three quarter ounces of fried onion straws. I need you to understand we batter them ourselves. Okay, and they fry. We drop. They're not no bagged stuff in a Gordon Food Store. Don't know nothing about no Red Robin onion straws. Okay, now we have two slices. They reduced it. It's just one slice now of sharp cheddar cheese okay so you have that so i get the i add the extra one now because they got cheap over the years and so we're putting them back on here and i had them add pickles because i like pickles but let me just stop talking because i'm just i wanna you're me for me to say something but i'm not gonna say nothing and it's still hot thank you janet watch I forgot the tomatoes. Three sixteenth quarter cut tomatoes, stage three, because stage five is too ripe. Stage one isn't ripe enough. Steak fries. There's always about eleven of them because we put six ounces of steak fries in there. Don't you love the explanations? Campfire mayo is the best. See the lettuce spitting everywhere. I'm trying to tell you, but look This. This is what your relationship with Jesus should look like. (laughs) I'm going to keep eating. Because it's real close to lunchtime. And a lot of you are trying to imagine. See that? Spitting out here. A lot of you are trying to imagine what this tastes like. But something about the way I'm experiencing it, you find tantalizing. And I could sit here and explain this to you all day, but you have to actually taste it to understand. Listen, Jesus, Jesus is not something to be explained. He is someone to experience. Just come and see. Just ask someone to come and see. Now I got another half up here. It's still wrapped up. Oh, we got a hand in the back. You got to come down and get it, brother. I got it for you right here. Come get it. Yeah, you better come get this. Look, come, come, come. You come get this because you're going to want this. Mm-hmm. And the fries are right here. They're waiting. As long as you do the... Come get this Mhm. Listen, but you got to do the campfire sauce. I know. T- look, the campfire sauce. Go ahead, dip that. Dip that. See what happens? now? Now there's people sharing it. She asked for this. I didn't offer no fries. Look at her. She asked for the fries. Yeah, listen, here. No, no. You. That's good. That's good. Mm-hmm. That's good. Hey, man, come on. Bite this. Bite this. Take that, man. Take that, buddy. But but just let, let the people see you experience Jesus. I mean, the burger. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You see that? You see that? And all the vegetarians out here hating on us for no reason. They're hating on us for no reason. I couldn't, I couldn't make the point with the veggie burger. Tell them about it. <laughs> you, that's yours, bro. <laughs> Listen, you guys. Jesus is not something to explain. He is someone to experience. You need to just invite people to come and see. I'm not asking you to go argue with your family this week. I'm not asking you to go uh, baptize someone and and convince them and convict them. Let the Holy Spirit do all that work. Just invite someone to come and see because if they taste it, they'll know that it is good. If they give it another chance here at Relove, if you give give a person who's given up on God another chance to choose God, the very one that chose them again, They will taste and see that he is good. They will taste and see that he is good. Stop playing God and the people in your life around you. Just invite them to come and see. God, as we bow our heads, Lord, just in your presence, God, we recognize our need for you. We look all around us and we see hurting people and we recognize their need for you. But God, it's hard to make that ask. God, we get a little scared sometimes. Father, as a result of the faith of the people here and your goodness in promising to work through them and the spaces that they've been creating so far all year, God, we want to pray now boldly in the name of Jesus that on April 16th, Saturday, during our worship experience at Easter, God, that we truly will see your mighty hand move. We truly will recognize your work, Father. Please capitalize upon the relationships we've been developing. Father, allow your spirit to move in and through us in the lives of those around us. Father, but on the 16th, we want to see life change. Father, we want to see people give their lives to God. We want to bask in this place in prayer. We want to make sure that as people enter onto this property, they are loved, they are embraced, they are hugged, that they see and their mouth waters from the experience that we are having with you. God, send your grace to fill in the gaps for where we are insufficient. We thank you, God, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Amen.